Bring you greetings again this evening. Thank you, Brother Claire, for those introductory thoughts. Okay, let's get our homework out of the way. How many read, how many of the rest of you read uh, Philippians today? Okay, good. Thank you all very much. I appreciate that. And I hope the book of Philippians has a special place in your heart, and maybe it already did. The theme verse for this evening comes from uh, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And the uh, message tonight is on that power. And we need that power to be able to get that prize that we talked about this morning. And I thought about it but didn't mention it. Someone after the service this morning said that, you know, there is a distinction when we strive for the worldly prize in earthly competitions, only one person gets the prize. But it, tonight, everyone can get the prize. It's an equal opportunity. We can all get that prize if we're faithful to God. So I'm not sure what all you think about when you think about power, but from an earthly standpoint, you know, young men might say, well, Zero to 60 in the car. How many seconds does it take? You know, that, that's a f- form of power. And you know, when I was young, I could be, be around a muscle car and 400 plus horsepower. And when it's idling, that thing is just vibrating the ground. You know, that's That's power. And, you, you know, we can go on and on like that. And uh, maybe middle-aged people think of power through the money they have that they can control certain situations. Maybe older men think about power as authority that they can have over others. But the power we're talking about is what Jesus can give us to be victorious over Satan. And we're no match for the devil. And the power I want to, before we can truly experience the power of God in our lives, Paul, in this chapter 4, outlines a lot of things that has to be taking place in our life before it comes to pass. Like like Jody, he has a... uh, Uh, car crushing machine and it has a 3,400 horsepower electric motor can you imagine that and they had to run a special power line out there for that motor and you know he had to install it and he had to have all kinds of fuses capacitors and, and a lot of things in place before he could flip the switch before that power can be utilized. And and that's kind of the way it is in our lives. There has to be a lot of things in place before the power of God can flow through us. And one of the things that he addresses in the first part of this chapter is joy. Another vital, important part is prayer. 
that gives us a dimension of power that isn't available in any other way. There is a list of characteristics that I want you to notice in this chapter that need to be in place so that we can have power. There's nothing... We need to have our lives clean and pure before God, free of sin and and blameless. and, And we'll look at some of these things before we can experience the full power of God. Here's a crude illustration. Imagine... An army tank weighs 60 tons. Can you imagine that? An army tank weighs 60 tons. And the engine is 1,500 horsepower in this tank. And can you imagine that they're on the battlefield, the commander is at the top, and he sends a message down to the engine room, to start the engine and the private says uh, through some huge mistake the private says he can't find the rope to start the engine you know they got a 10 horsepower tiller engine down there for this 60 ton tank and that's exactly the way Christians try to do and they're powerless to fight the enemy the devil they got a 10 horsepower engine when they should have a 1500 horsepower engine through the power of God. So let's let's think about that as as we read I want to read verses 1 through uh, 13 and verse 19 and think about all the characteristics that need to be in place before that power is turned on so to speak. Therefore my brethren dearly beloved and long for my crown and joy that stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and Cynthia that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Clement, which all my fellow labors, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart, your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to abase, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to be suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so a lot of things need to take place in our lives as we receive the power of God. And remember that Paul was sitting in prison and and we can only imagine the conditions that he was facing. In verse 4 he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And we have trouble doing that when we're not in prison, right? At, At times in our lives. And let's just go back for a history lesson in Nehemiah. Turn with me to Nehemiah 8. Maybe I'll read a a, a verse out of the Psalms on our way to Nehemiah. Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. And that's kind of a side thought. Now to Nehemiah. Chapter 8, the setting here, the Jews had just returned from captivity. They were back to their their homeland, and they were just new into their homeland. And so, I'm not, uh, and you can understand that they weren't practicing the worship of their God, and probably a lot of them were born in captivity and didn't know. And so they were called together here at the beginning of chapter 8 and said the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street for the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded him. Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women and that could hear and understand upon the first day of the week. And he read therein from before the street, before the water gate, from morning till midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And you get the idea that they were here and they were hungry to know what the law said. And let's jump down to verse 8. And they read the book and the law of God distinctly gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah was the governor. And Ezra the scribe, the Levites, taught the people, and this day is holy unto the Lord God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto you. This day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in the Old Testament setting, God was putting uh, a great emphasis on the joy that we need to, before we can experience the power of God, we need to have the joy in our life to its full uh, dimension. And you know, they they wept. They recognized they weren't keeping God's law. And 
he he admonished them in this chapter as you read. And uh, in verse 17, later in this chapter, it says, The congregation of them were come out of captivity, made booze, set under the booze, for since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. And so Paul puts a lot of emphasis here in chapter uh, 4 on joy and, and peace. And he's, he's leading up to our text verse where he talks about, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so we, to, we need to make a diligent effort just like when there's preparations for a huge powerful machine. There's a lot of preparation that goes into place before the power is turned on. And for Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power to be effective in our lives, there are things that we need to do initially. Of course, uh, accept the plan of salvation like we talked about earlier, having the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. In Mark uh, uh, there's four points here I want to look at for our basis for joy and peace. And in Mark chapter 11, I'm calling this experiencing God's forgiveness all through life. And we need to experience God's forgiveness, and in return we need to forgive other people. And it's interesting that Jesus is here teaching the disciples in Mark chapter 11. And earlier in that chapter, he clears the temple and, you know, he cursed the fig tree. And then when he gets down to verse uh, 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith. And he's, he's teaching them about prayer. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye say to this mountain, be moved, and thou carried into the sea, and shall not doubt in thy heart, but shall believe that these things which he saith come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe, and you shall receive them, and ye shall have them. And notice what the next verse says. And when you stand praying, forgive. What does forgiveness have to do with the power of prayer? Well, it has a lot to do with it. You're not going to have any power unless you do what he says here. He says, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you. And so I'm challenging us that we need to have a mindset of forgiveness. It's not, ma it's not a matter of fairness or what's legally right, and, and you can go all the way down that path. But if we don't forgive our fellow man, and it doesn't need to be in the brotherhood either. It can be, you know, you, you might uh, hold something against the leaders of our land. Say, that's not right. Well, so, we, he says, if you don't forgive them, your Heavenly Father's not going to forgive you. And we can't have that joy that it talks about back in Nehemiah or Paul talks about here in, a, in a Philippians. The second thing is to know the reality of His presence. Do you know 
that God is with you Tuesday as the same as He is here with you Sunday morning as we gather together. The reality of His presence. And the devil's going to do things to get you sidetracked and, and fearful that He's not present with you. It's like when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples were fearful and He said, Be not afraid, it is I. Can you imagine how they felt when He said that to them? My wife and I were in Guatemala one time and uh, Jeff and Crystal did a lot of traveling by a motorboat. And we was up and down the river numerous times. And sometimes I would drive the boat and Jeff was on board and and all that. Well, one Sunday evening, uh, Crystal said, "You, you and Mother ought to take the boat and go down the river to a certain place. And she said, there's just a big open area like a lake. And you ought to sit there in the boat and watch the sun go down on the water. She said, it's just unbelievable. So the two of us got in the boat, went down the river, and we got to this big place. And you know, it was a setting of worship, worshiping our God. We was was enjoying the beauty. And I turned the motor off of the boat. And as we was sitting there in the quietness and the stillness, I got this thought. What if the motor don't start? And we never had problems with that motor the whole time we was there, any time we were there. It was always faithful and it always worked. But that was the first time that my wife and I were out there alone. And you know, there was monkeys in the trees and how would you get back? And we only had one paddle in the boat. You see what I'm telling you? The devil brought these things to my mind What if the motor don't start? See, he was distracting me from the presence of God. And I didn't know it, but she, well, my wife confessed later that she had the same thought. What if the motor don't start? But the motor did start. And we made our way back before dark. See, the reality of God's presence will disturb the flow of the power of God in your life. And then as our verse here this evening says, assured of victory. We can be assured of victory, as it says here in Philippians 4. And the fourth thing as a basis for joy and peace is understanding God's sovereignty. Uh, Jeremiah 32, just a few verses from there understanding how that God is in control of everything. And you know, I hear sometimes fellow Christians in, in, in our groups, in, in other groups that say, you know, listening to the news too much is bad for you because it's from a humanistic view. And God is in control. Now, you, won't, you don't hear that when you hear of all the conflicts and the wars and this side is overpowering this side and their reasoning and, and all that. Isaiah, in um, 
Jeremiah. See, we're understanding the sovereignty of God. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth and by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for you, for thee. Do we, do we claim that promise in our daily life that there is nothing that is too hard for God? That's His sovereignty. And we need to have that in place for His power to make its full benefit in our life. And it goes on to say, Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, great and mighty Lord of hosts is His name. And it goes on to say that God is great in counsel, mighty in works, for thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men to give to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So we don't need to hold a grudge back in Mark chapter 11. God's going to take care of that. So why can't we forgive? That's the only way we're going to have peace. Because it says that God is in control. He's in charge. Verse 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And of course the answer is no. There is nothing too hard for God. And we need to, to remind ourselves of that. And, and one way to do that is to read the Word of God each day and claim our promises because reading the Word of God has a purifying effect not only on our soul, our mind, and I like to think our subconscious mind. Now, now I'm against re reading the Word of God mechanically, and I catch myself doing that at times, and I have to repent and back up and start over <coughs> because we need to be grasping what we're reading when we're reading the Word of God. Now in verse 6, we're back in Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. What does that really mean? I believe one thing it means, don't be overly anxious about anything because you can pray about everything. And so if we've, if we've experienced God's forgiveness to ourselves and others, if we know the reality of His presence and we are assured of His victory and understanding His sovereignty, then we come to the next thing of not being over-anxious. So have you ever thought about this question? When is something big enough to pray about? Well... If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about, right? Thanksgiving. When we think about being about praying for everything, he he says it, but in every prayer supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Have you analyzed your prayers? How much of your prayer is asking and beseeching God and how much is thanking and praising Him for what He has already done and what He will do for you in the future. If, if, if I would analyze my prayer, I'm afraid it's far too often the other way. It's beseeching and asking God. But, but God is blessed when we thank Him for what He has done. The other thing is, 
he says, let your requests be made known unto God. Do you find it hard sometimes to pray? You know, we should have that relationship with God that we talk to Him as a friend. We, we reverence Him, but we, we communicate with Him. And we have this interchange with Him on a daily basis and any time. And if our lives are in such order that we can call out to Him any time of the day, we're trusting Him. It's not like we're demanding Him. We're trusting Him to be with us. And it talks about here in verse 7, the peace of God. You're not going to have power in your life unless you have the peace of God. And that's why the council meeting cards, did you ever think about that? The first three questions is peace. And they're in the proper order. Do you have peace with God? And do you have peace with your fellow men? And do you are fellow Christians and your fellow men? And these things need to be settled before God's power comes through our life that we can have a victorious life. It says it in John uh, fourteen twenty seven. It talks about the peace of God. <clears throat> that Jesus wants to to give us. Well, he says in the first part of that chapter, let not your heart be troubled. And I used to think that meant that, you know, God would do all that. But he's putting the responsibility partially on us to let not our hearts be troubled. And he says in Colossians 3.15, that let the peace of God which passeth understanding to keep your hearts and mind through Christ. And now we come through a, to a, what should we call it? A checklist. So whatsoever things are true. Now, now we're thinking about, uh, yes, the power of God in our life is able to accomplish a lot and it will beyond our comprehension. But our lives need to be in such order. You know, if you have a powerful motor, but if you don't have things in order, it's not going to work. And I mean, it doesn't take much. Just a capacitor or a, or a, a little fuse. Or, or You all know that it just don't take much. And it's worthless until that is fixed. And I believe it's the same way in, in, in our spiritual life. And this checklist, true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and good report. And uh, virtue and praise. Did you know these things can become a habit? You know, when we talk about habits, usually it's in a negative context. It's, it's things that drag us down or bring us into bondage. But we can have power, and these things can become a habit of thinking of pure and honest. In verse 9, after he, after he lists this thing, 
Did you catch the two-letter word? These things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Now, you know, we've talked about this Bible conference this weekend. We talked about studying the Bible. We've talked about reading Scripture and four chapters a day. But if that word D-O isn't in our experience, it's not going to mount to too much. Did you, he says do. We need to put it to practice. And notice he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. I read this quote, thinking, uh, especially thinking about verse 8 here that lists all these things, pure, honest, lovely, good report, and all that. It says, if a Christian is going to spend his time with the filth and the dirt and questionable things of this world, there will be no power in his life. That's exactly like it was when I said earlier, if you have a 10 horsepower gas engine to run a 60 ton tank, it's going to be the same thing. There is no power to move it. And we will not not have power. And in in verse 11, Paul, this is his testimony. He says, I... Not that I speak in respect of what I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, being content with what we have. God can work through us. Turn to Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. We can learn contentment with Apostle Paul. See, sometimes people equate power with arrogance, prestige. But as we learned on Saturday night, Jesus is humility. He humbled Himself in those seven steps. And so here He he says in verse... uh, Six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we'll carry nothing out. You know, did you ever see a U-Haul behind a hearse? No, never. It might happen sometime, but there's no reality there. When you come into this world, it seems like this verse here Verse 7 says, we brought nothing into this world. Okay, we come into this world as a baby. We're just born, okay? That's all we are. We're showed up. And we have brought nothing. But he says it's more certain that when you leave, it's going to be the same way. It seems like he's putting greater pressure on that when we're leaving. And he said it is certain the world will carry nothing out. That's a greater truth than when we came in. Because he knows that mankind, in our fleshly, earthly desires, we we tend to be covetous, we want to accumulate things. And that's why he says in the next verse, having food and raiment, 
Let us therewith be content. And the Apostle Paul said he learned to be content. And you know he suffered starvation and and a, a whole host of things. I think it's interesting that the Scripture says that when you have some food in your stomach and you have some clothes on your back, at that point you can be content. And anything else you have above that is the blessing of God. And we should view it that way. For, for the power of God to, to work through us, that His Holy Spirit is working through us, and it's not tied to, to things, material things. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, it talks about God's grace abounding. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, 5, thinking with that, learning to be content. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conversation or your uh, lives be content with such things as you have, for he has saith, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. There's a new dimension that I thought about that. You know, when we think about being content, we, we, we go back maybe to the other verse and say, yes, when I have food and raiment, I can be content. But see what Jesus is saying. You have me. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In the same verse where he talks about being without covetousness. Be content with the things you have, he says here in Hebrews 13.5. And he's, he, he's saying at the last part of the verse, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That, that should be a promise that, that really blesses us. Now back to <clears throat> Philippians. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Philippians 4.12 He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. So he, he has the proper balance and the proper attitude Did you know that when you're abased, that you can have the full power of God? He says he's learned that. That when he's abased, when he's uh, doesn't have plenty, or when he's in need, He still can have the full power of God. And that is such a blessing. And I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And it says, whatever Christ has for you to do, He will supply the power. But I hope we can grasp tonight that before that that power can flow through us to the fullest extent and, and the way God designed us, that we need to meet these conditions. We need to grow in these conditions. And we need 
His power before we can be totally victorious. And you know, if we're like the fellow that's trying to start his 10 horsepower engine in a 60-ton tank, you'll never make it. You'll never have the victory that you need because we're trying to do it in our own strength. But our that's why we need our vessels clean so the power of God can flow through us. Do you think God wants His Holy Spirit power in a dirty vessel? No. We know that. But the challenge is how to keep it clean. And that's why we need to, to come to Him. <clears throat> and verse 19 is like uh, the another promise that my God, Paul says in prison, my God, and he's telling them shall supply all your need according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. That's almost like he's making a prophecy. He's making a future statement that my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He doesn't say all your wants, but He's going to give you the power and He's going to supply all that we need so we can claim the prize that we looked at this morning. So the power in our lives must um, complement the person of Jesus Christ as we immerse ourselves in the Word. And we'll have joy, peace, and power to do all things, and He will supply our needs. May God bless you as you continue to study the book of Philippians and apply those principles to your life.